Thank you for joining us today for the Christ First podcast. So I know Carly from when she, when we were in eighth grade. So I have seen her grow up and uh, become who she is. I haven't been there every, every, every stage, but um, I can tell you that she has a lot of amazing things to share with us. So I'm excited to ask these questions. First question, what was Christ's place in your home growing up? So there was an interesting dynamic growing up because I was able to see my parents at their very best, and I was also able to see them at their very worst. From the time I was born until the time I was about 11, Christ came first in our home. My parents, everything that they did was um, focused on on Christ and building our relationship with him. And I am so grateful for their example and also for their teachings. I grew up wanting nothing more than to be just like my dad. I wanted to be doing everything he was doing. If he was out pulling the weeds, so was I. If he was working on our cars, so was I. His favorite color is green. So all growing up, my favorite color was green. It wasn't until he passed away that I finally admitted that my favorite color is actually blue, but green is a very close second. Um, My dad loved guns and fishing and riding horses and country music and camping and black licorice. So I loved all of those things too. And I continue to love all those things, except I do admit that I hate black licorice. (laughs) I saw my dad fiercely dedicate his life to Christ. One of my favorite memories with my dad is when I was about seven years old, we were watching a video about the atonement, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. And I saw my dad absolutely weep as we watched this video in our living room on a normal Sunday afternoon. I saw so clearly for the first time that he loved Christ so much, and I wanted to love Christ that much too. So around the time I was 11 or 12, 13 was when life just kind of started getting really hard. My parents' health had been declining, and financially that was uh, right around the time the recession happened in 2008, and so we had moved out here or moved back here to um, for my dad to um, work in Cedar City, and he ended up starting his own business doing electrical contracting, and then 2008 happened, and he lost his business, and so he kept trying to get other jobs, and they just kept not working out, and he got in a car accident, and um, just all of these things started happening that it just seemed like we had the worst luck. And my dad, he was diagnosed with bipolar in his t- early 20s, and at least with his his bipolar um his just got worse with age and that's going to happen with anyone and you have to you know continually change your prescriptions and whatever um but since we were struggling financially they just didn't have insurance and didn't have the means to go to the doctor and and get things checked up but um along with that he had a lot of knee and back pain um from being a manual laborer and being such a big guy my dad was 6'3", 
250, 300 pounds. He was a really big guy. And so he um, was just really struggling and um, started struggling mentally from not being able to work. And um, both of my parents kind of just lost their faith a little bit. And um, I, my mom, she was a convert to the church. She was baptized when she was 23. And that was right around the time that she met my dad. So I, I definitely can't say exactly where my parents' testimonies were. But I, I know that my dad never stopped believing in the church. And I think my mom kind of struggled with her own um, insecurities. She was abused in every way growing up. And so she had a lot of insecurities and didn't know her true worth. And so um, I feel like that was really hard for her. So around the time that I was 13, both my parents unemployed. Um, we were living with and taking care of my great-grandparents at the time. And so they were the ones who were supporting us financially. We were supporting them by taking care of them, and they were supporting us financially. So, um, which was very unique to be able to grow up with my great-grandparents. But um, my 13th year, my parents just really gave up that year. And my dad was, both of my parents were severely depressed. And I... I didn't see my dad leave his bedroom except to go to the bathroom for that entire year. And my mom was kind of, um, you know, kind of just followed alongside him. And that put me in a position where I had to choose what I wanted. And, you know, it came to, of course, I was going to school and everything. But um, on Sundays, I had to choose. Am I going to go to church by myself or am I going to stay home and at that point my oldest um, brother and sister were I think my oldest brother was on a mission and my sister she had moved out so it was just me and my brother Chase and we both kind of had to decide and um, Chase sorry if you're listening to this this is just what I remember <laughs> But um, I remember Chase just saying like, well, if mom and dad are going to stay home, I'm going to stay home too. And so I just had to decide. And at that point, I saw what our home was like with the spirit. And I was beginning to see what our home was like without the spirit. And I did not like it at all. And so at 13 years old, I was going to church by myself every Sunday. And that really set my my testimony in action from a young age, which was really hard, but I'm also so grateful for. So I kind of went through the rest of my years with that early um, experience of having to put my testimony to the test. And it didn't get any easier from there. It just continually got harder with my parents. And, and sometimes they would come out of their fog and um, would come to church or my mom would be placed in in callings. She was in young women's while I was in, in young women's. And I absolutely loved that. Me and my mom were very, very close and um, probably too close at some points since my dad was struggling so much mentally. Um, she didn't feel like she had him. And so she confided in me for a lot of things that she probably shouldn't have and treated our relationship more like a friendship than uh, 
mother-daughter relationship, but um, I'm still grateful for it because I understand her very well. Um, around that same time that my dad started struggling, since he didn't have money for, and he had significant pain and, you know, he was such a big guy, so painkillers weren't really helping him very much, he turned to alcohol for his pain. And um, we kind of just went with this understanding that he he was doing this solely for the physical pain that he was feeling, and it was a means for him to get over it. And But I, I always knew that he had an addiction, and um, it was a struggle for him. My dad would tell me growing up that he had numerous experiences that had led him to being, quote, baptized by fire. And I grew up always wanting to have similar experiences as he did so that I could have that strong of a testimony as well. And even throughout all of his struggles, I knew that he still had that testimony. Um, he was just being burdened down by so much of the things in this world that we struggle with. Through our senior year, I had an opportunity to have a free period during school. It was either I have a free period or I go to orchestra. And so I said, if I give up orchestra and have a free period, I am going to use that free period to go to the temple. So for that second half of our senior year, I was going to the temple two or three times a week. And some weeks I would challenge myself to go to the temple every single day that week that it was open. And um, that truly built my testimony and showed me that I'm a daughter of God and really helped to um, strengthen my foundation in the gospel. I didn't feel the spirit in my home during my teen years very often. And so I was always searching for places where I could go to feel the spirit. And so that is a huge reason why I was in the temple so much as a teenager and as a young adult. If there was any advice I could give to anyone, especially youth, it would be to go to the temple often. And I know it can be intimidating to go by yourself sometimes, but I feel like it is so important to go by yourself to experience what the Spirit is trying to tell you and not to have any distractions and to really figure out your testimony on your own terms. Are there any specific moments through the really, really hard times with your family and your parents that you did feel Christ. The first time that I ever had to truly use the atonement in my life was during middle school. And when I just felt like I had just made the biggest of mistakes and there was no coming back from it. And um, it came time to take the sacrament. And um, I was probably, I don't know, 14 or 15 at the time. And that was the first time that I truly felt that the atonement was real. And it was like instantly, I couldn't remember, like I, I knew that I had done something wrong, but I couldn't remember the details of it. And I still can't. I, and I'm so grateful for that experience. I'm so grateful that I went through that, especially at such a young age and had that trust in Heavenly Father and the Savior. 
And that really showed me Christ was real. And he was more than willing to take that upon himself and um, to allow me to be free of it. But it was a few years later as I was deciding to go on a mission. I always knew that I wanted to serve a mission. I always had that desire. And so I was absolutely out of my mind excited when they changed the age to 19. But as it came time to um, leave for my mission, I was like, do I, do I really believe this? Do, is this, is this truly what I want? Is this what Heavenly Father wants for me? And I had two experiences during that time. Um, but I went for a bike ride one day and I, we lived, um, right by the Virgin River. And so I was riding my bike down there and I stopped and I just knelt down and prayed next to the river, like on this bike trail. That experience that I had came back to my mind from using the repentance, using repentance in my life. And um, that was my answer. And I'm like, yeah, it's real. Like I already had that, that testament and um, that witness. So I got back on my bike and I went home and, and, um, and from there I started to ask myself, is this what Heavenly Father wants for me? Like, this is my desire, but um, is this what Heavenly Father wants me to do? Or is this, or is there a different thing that I should be doing? And, um, my answer came from, um, the person that I was dating at the time. And he directed me to Doctrine and Covenants, um, section four, I think verse three, but it says, if you have desire to serve God, you're called to the work. And so, and that was like, so exciting to me. Cause I was like, ah, yes. What? Yeah. I'm like, what, what I want and what Heavenly Father wants for me are the same. And so I was so excited and um, so grateful for the opportunity to serve a mission and so grateful for, because in my family or in our circumstances, we just didn't have the means. Um, But there were so many people around us that were more than willing and able to help us pay for our missions. So I... I went on my mission and I was so, I absolutely loved my parents and was so grateful for them, but I was so grateful to have an, have, um, an experience of being away from them and being away from just what was going on in our household at the time and being in a, um, a place and a mental state where I could have the spirit with me all the time. And I didn't have to work so hard to be in a holy place. Um, because I truly have a testimony of that, that you you can make any place a holy place. Um, but sometimes it's just like, I don't want to have to work so hard for it. <laughs> but um, so being on a mission was the perfect opportunity. And so I was called to the Santa Rosa, California mission. And um, I grew up um, for a few years in Southern California. So it was really cool to be able to experience Northern California as well. As well. And I got to um, learn Spanish. So I got to go down to the Mexico MTC and learn Spanish down there. And um, when I was leaving the MTC, I was on the airplane. And I kept having this feeling and and I just felt the spirit tell me, your time is limited on your mission. And... I was like, okay, well, yeah, 18 months is short. So, 
yeah, it's, it's going to go by fast. And, and so I just kind of went with that. And I, I remember writing it down in my journal. And, um, so I, I got out into the mission field and I was so excited and, um, immediately started working away with my trainer. And, um, mentally I was just so excited and so happy. Um, but my body started declining and in our mission, we had to, it was a mission rule that we had to run every day. We were in Northern California. The weather was perfect year round. So there was no excuse to not be outside, um, exercising. And so at the beginning of my mission, I was, you know, running right with my companion. There was this one road that we would run down and that was like three or four blocks. And she would be at one end, the far end of the road. And I would still be starting down that road. And um, I'm like, why am I getting slower? <laughs> and um, my health just started declining and I was uh, dizzy and I was shaky and um, I wanted to work. My my mind was there because people kept, we'd, I'd go to the doctor and whatever and they would tell me, oh, it's anxiety. You're having anxiety. I'm like, I am great. <laughs> I am, I'm good up here. I'm feeling awesome. And um I, I, I didn't, of course I missed my family, but I wasn't like, I wasn't feeling homesick. I kept waiting for that to happen, but it, it just wasn't happening. And, um, so I'm like, my body is just not doing what it should. So, um, it finally got to the point where I was passing out all the time and I was eventually like bedridden. And, um, so I, you know, my mission president came and visited with me in the when I was in the emergency room for like the fourth time because they just could not figure out what was wrong with me and um he said I I think I prayed and I've thought a lot about it and I I think your your time as a missionary is is done it was like exactly four months and um that was really hard for me. That was really hard. I, from the time I knew that girls could serve a mission, I wanted to serve a mission. And, um, so having, having to, um, release that will to Heavenly Father, yeah, was, was really difficult. Um, but the one thing that still gives me so much comfort, um, because I'm still so sad from having to come home like 10 years later. <laughs> um, in my patriarchal blessing, it says um, there will come a time in your life when you will serve a mission. And it may not be when you're a young woman, but this is still a decision you may make. But there will come a time when you will serve with your husband. And so I, I continually carry that with me. And, um, and luckily I married someone who has that same desire to serve. Seems to be, um, more where he's wanting you to look. The prompting you got on the plane, did that immediately comfort you when you got home or did it, was it something you didn't remember for a while? No, I, I, it continued with me. And as I was leaving my mission, I was on airplane again. And I had the spirit, something about airplanes, I guess, but as I was leaving, like 
flying out of the Oakland airport, I this spirit told me, you are done here as a missionary. Because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go home, get better, and I'm going to come back. And the spirit was just like, you, you are done here as a missionary. And so that was a struggle for me because I did come home and I was thankfully able to receive so many blessings to get a diagnosis and um, a really amazing treatment plan. And so I was able to um, get back to health within a couple months. And so throughout this period of time, as I was getting better, I kept saying, okay, Heavenly Father, can I go back now? And it's just, no, hey, I'm doing really good now. Can I go back now? Okay, if I can't go back to my mission, can I be a service missionary? No. And it got to the point where even without praying about it, if I would just think it, it was just telling Father, no. And so that was a struggle for me. But um, looking back at it now, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but I, I realized that had I stayed on my mission, I wouldn't have met my husband when I did. In the first three years of our marriage, we lost three parents between the two of us. And if I hadn't come home early from my mission and met my husband when I did, we wouldn't have had that support that we were able to have for each other through those really hard times. So I'm really grateful now that I followed those promptings and listened when I did. And I also felt like it gave me the opportunity to um, truly put Christ first in my life and do what he wanted me to do. I wanted to ask this question, but I feel like it's obvious. The question was, how do you ch how did you choose the path you would take after you came home for your mission unexpectedly? But it seems like if I were just to go off of what you've already said, you you had a really firm foundation. Do you feel like that's where it came from? Or did you have to all over again kind of say, okay, I will do it, Lord said. There was just never a question in my mind that I was going to choose a different path. And um, everyone I dated, every experience that I had, I was praying and asking Heavenly Father what I should do next and searching my patriarchal blessing and studying it regularly to find out what Heavenly Father wanted me to do. So how did your faith lead factor into your decision to marry Matt? I had been praying for my husband since I was seven years old. Me too. Oh, yes. I actually I remember on my mission, I would pray. if I just like thought he must be at college or something. I said, if he has a project, make sure his project goes well. I loved that movie, The Other Side of Heaven. And so that came out around the time I was seven. And in that movie, I now have read his book, Elder Groberg's book, and I absolutely love that book. That's like a book I read every year. But um, just that movie in my seven-year-old brain that was like, you're wherever you go, wherever the Lord sends you, we're under the same moon. And so I would like, we would be in the car at night and I'd be like staring at the moon. Like my husband is underneath the same moon. <laughs> and so that was always just so fascinating to me. And um, so I would pray for my husband and pray that I was doing what I needed to do to be worthy of him and that he was doing what he needed to do to be worthy of me. And, and exactly like, like you said, like praying for him in, in school or whatever decisions he was making. And um, so when I met Matt um, a week before I met him, I 
was dating someone and um, had been dating them for off and on for years and through missions and everything. And I got to the point where I had to ask myself um, the counsel from Elder Ballard, where he talks about good, better, and best. And I said, this is a, a good relationship. On paper, we look really good together. But there was just something missing. And um, even though he was a great guy, that doesn't necessarily mean that we were good for each other. And so we ended up breaking up and I met Matt a week later and uh, we went to high school together, but we didn't know each other, which I'm so grateful for now. Um, But there were so many experiences where it was like, we should have met in high school and we should have been in the same group. We should have... It was a tender mercy that you kind of stayed apart. Right. It would have never worked. And um, you were not only under the same moon, you were under the same roof. So we were like, <laughs> when we started dating, we lived like two miles away from each other. It was Tinder that brought us together. Me too. Yeah. We and- both found a wonderful Matt on Tinder. Yes, I love that. And um, as he came to my door, I'm walking up the stairs. And this was not very typical of me to think this or to have this pop into my brain, but... Um, maybe it was the spirit saying, you're about to open the door to your future husband. And so I was like, that's weird, whatever. So, you know, I brushed it off and it was a great first date. So we went on a date the next night and we went to watch a movie out in the desert. And, um, there was something wrong with my laptop. And so I like got up to go fix my laptop and I could see just over like one mountain the moon was coming up and it was huge and it was full and it was like the spirit was just like at that moment you're under the same moon as your husband it was like concourses of angels just speaking to me and um I I knew without a doubt that he was my husband and um I could have told him right then and there that I loved him uh I'm glad I didn't but and it was just like in my mind, it was like, here you are. I found you. I've, I've been looking for you. And I, I feel like that was a tender mercy of Heavenly Father being like, you prayed for him this long. And so here he is like on a on a gold platter. And um, I went home that night, wrote it down in my journal because I was like, no one is ever going to believe this. I went on a walk that night with Cami and Elise and I told them <laughs> because it's like someone has got to know this. And I told my mom too. And my mom had a very similar experience when she met my dad, so she believed it. But um, so then we went throughout our our dating experiences, and um, I had no doubt that it was going to take place. But that is a, a huge reason that we talked about earlier, like why we never talked about, we never talked about being married to each other, ever. We talked about marriage generally, seldom, but um, we didn't talk about being married to each other until we were engaged. It was really interesting um, throughout our dating experience because I, one of my spiritual gifts is discerning spirits. On the one hand, I can feel the spirit and heavenly angels so closely. But on the other hand, that means that I can feel the adversary and his followers as well. So I was experiencing them and feeling them in my room and around me, persuading me and taunting me while it was scary at the same time gave me comfort because I knew what I was doing was the right thing. And obviously they knew it too, because why else would they be surrounding me so often? And so there was never a question or a doubt in my mind that he was 
the person that I was going to spend eternity with. And um, so it was exactly 100 days from the time, from the day we met to the day that we got married. And um, just our engagement was three weeks. It was about eight months into our marriage. We had just bought our first house. And Matt and his dad and a few of his brothers were laying grass um, in our yard during that week. And Matt's dad was coming over one morning to mow our lawn for us because we didn't have a mower yet. Um, so as I was getting ready for him to come, I was listening to a general conference talk, um, as I usually do in the morning. And that day I had turned on Our Father's Glorious Plan by Elder Weatherford T. Clayton. And he shared a story about when he was a doctor. He was in the room as one of his patients passed away. And by her side was her daughter. Of this experience, he said this quote that struck my soul so much in that moment. He said, even in our moments of deepest grief, in moments when time stands still and life seems so unfair, we can find comfort in our Savior because he suffered as well. At that point in my life, I had lost grandparents who would live long and useful lives, and so their passing was very bittersweet. But... I didn't feel like it was super applicable to me, but I still felt so much peace from it. And I felt compelled to share this quote on Facebook. And what I didn't know is that just a few moments later, my father-in-law would die in a car accident. And myself and those around me would really need that counsel that Elder Clayton gave. I continue to carry that quote with me. And that was just the beginning of the grief that Heavenly Father was preparing me to feel. Not even nine months later, my mom unexpectedly passed away. And we didn't know why. We still don't know why. She just passed away in her sleep. Just a few months after my mom passed away, we were trying to get pregnant. And I ended up having a miscarriage. Um, It was quickly followed up by a pregnancy, so that was wonderful. But throughout my pregnancy, my dad had major struggles, and he really hit rock bottom with his addiction and his mental illness. And I got put in this position where I had to be a parent to my parent, and it caused a huge strain in our relationship. It got to the point where there wasn't much more that any of us could do. And he declined so much so that he ended up on hospice because his liver and his kidneys were failing. And he ended up passing away just about a year after my mom passed away. I don't feel like that is where I gained my testimony of the plan of salvation. I feel like I I gained my testimony of the plan of salvation um, earlier on, but all of those experiences were a witness of that testimony. And um, and I am a firm believer of that. You don't have to experience something to have a testimony of them. You just have to be willing to put in the work to gain that testimony. And then when the hard times come, that's when you can have that that witness. And I'm so grateful for that. By no means do I think I have a perfect testimony, but the plan of salvation 
I do feel like my testimony is perfect. I don't have all the knowledge or all of the questions answered, but I am very firm in my testimony that Heavenly Father has a plan for us and that there is life after this and that we will be together with our families and we can experience the highest measure of joy through putting Christ first in our lives. What does the future look like for Matt and Carly having lived a Christ-centered life in 20 years from now? The thing that has been driving us since we got married is working towards being in a position where we can be missionaries and serve as representatives of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm so grateful that Matt has these desires too, and that we've both been promised in our patriarchal blessings that we will have these amazing service opportunities. It's impossible for me to describe just how badly we both want that day to come since we have a young family and the greatest work that we can do starts within the walls of our own home, we are doing all we can to channel that desire to serve Heavenly Father by serving our kids and to build a home that is, and this is my own personal mantra, um, a home that is founded on the principles of righteousness and the workings of the priesthood, as well as ministering and magnifying our callings in our ward. But we are also preparing ourselves and our kids for the day that we will be away serving the Lord in a different way than what we are currently doing. Um, Before this podcast, I was very involved in the birth community. I'm very passionate about empowering and educating women as they become moms. But it got to the point where I had to ask myself and Heavenly Father, is this going to help me reach our future goals of serving thee? And the answer was no. And while I'm still um, involved in the birth community, I did have to step back quite a bit. But that decision and focusing on this podcast was one of the best decisions I've ever made. It has made me so happy being able to do this every week. Um, While I regret things I say often, I never regret testifying of Jesus Christ It is without a doubt the thing I am most passionate about and most comfortable talking about. I am always praying for opportunities to share the gospel like so many of us are and share my testimony. And this podcast has allowed me to do just that. It is easy to get caught up on controversial things from the past surrounding things like polygamy or blacks in the priesthood or things that Joseph Smith did that we don't quite understand, or even counsel from prophets 20, 30 years ago. But it is important to remember that those things are secondary. That's a huge tool of the adversary to distract us. That's why we don't talk about them very much in church lessons or general conference, because they don't pertain to us today. They were relevant back then, but not anymore. And in a world where everyone is preaching to look to the future and not dwell in the past, let's do that. Let's focus on what our leaders are teaching us today, which are the primary foundational doctrines that we talk about every Sunday, like the life of Jesus Christ and the atonement and resurrection and the plan of salvation and the restoration of the church through 
Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. The most important words we will hear from our general authorities are their most recent words. General conference talks from years ago can have lots of great information in them, but the ones that should be our sole focus are the ones from the most recent general conference. Those are the ones that are most applicable to us today. The doctrines of Christ do not change, but the procedures in the church oftentimes do. And that's why it's so important to seek your own personal revelation for those things that you do have questions about. One of our articles of faith even says that Heavenly Father will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Um, truly living the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought me more happiness than I could ever describe. And I want so badly to help others understand that as well. I could never understand why anything I talked to my dad about, how he was able to bring it back to the gospel every single time. It didn't matter what we were talking about. And he continued to do this even when he was struggling the most. But now I I get it. I Don't get me wrong, I am a very imperfect person. But in almost everything, Christ is at the forefront of my mind. It takes continual work, but it can become a reflex, and it is so worth it. You will never regret putting Christ first. So Matt and I went skydiving a couple weeks ago, and it was incredible. I absolutely loved it. It was something I've always wanted to do. But as we were free-falling, I had this moment where I just caught myself praying and thanking Heavenly Father that I get to have this experience that I've wanted to have for so long and um, just being able to experience this beautiful world that we live in as I'm I'm looking down at the earth below me, you know, this is incredible. And thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for allowing me to have this opportunity and to be able to view our world in this way. And that after that prayer, I was like, I'm so grateful that I have decided to um, put Heavenly Father and the Savior first in my life and that this has become such a reflex because it has brought me so much joy through those most tumultuous times in our marriage, through losing our, our parents. We look back and we never struggled in our marriage or with our finances we were so happy, even even though um, we were losing family members and it, it was a sad time. It was like everything around us was going crazy. But in our home, we felt the spirit. We felt so much peace. And our marriage was so happy. It still is. And, you know, people say, oh, those first few years of marriage are, are so hard. And I keep waiting for those hard times to come. And the only thing that I can credit it too is that we have decided to put Christ first in our lives individually and as a couple and in our family. And we pray every night and tell Heavenly Father how grateful we are to have this home where we have the spirit. And I know I'm I'm so grateful for it. I I know without a doubt that Christ lives 
and that what he did for us is eternal. The gospel of Jesus Christ won't take away your problems, but Christ took upon himself every pain, sadness, and heartache that we will ever feel so we can be free of those feelings. With Christ by our side, we can experience the highest measure of joy while enduring the most physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental pain we could ever feel in this life. And I am a very small witness of that. I know Christ is the Son of God. I know he lived, died, and that he lives today. I have heard many people say that it makes them uncomfortable or they just don't think it's true when people say, I know. But I truly know. And I cannot doubt the things that I have witnessed. I haven't seen Christ or Heavenly Father with my own eyes, but I have felt them in small moments throughout my life. I know that Joseph Smith was an imperfect mortal man, but I also know that he saw Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ and that he restored Christ's church. The more I experience my own personal revelation and hear others' experiences of how they see Heavenly Father's hand in their lives, the more I realize how we are each loved individually and unconditionally by our Father in Heaven. I know that I am a daughter of God and that we are all His children. That, more than anything else, is what I hope to convey to others in this life. I know when we put Christ first in our lives that we will be able to experience the highest measure of happiness, understanding, calmness, joy, peace, and everything wonderful, far more than this fallen world has to offer. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Carly. This was so nice to talk to you. And I just want to say really quick that one of my favorite things you said today was that the gospel became and how you live it became a reflex. And I like that. Thanks for listening to the Christ it, First it, podcast. It is a lot of work at the Check beginning, putting in that Friday foundation. And I think anybody episode. listening will agree with me that you have built that foundation through a lot of trial and a lot of opposition. And uh, we all need to make the gospel reflex. Thank you for your story. Thanks for being vulnerable.